All right, guys, welcome back to the Raised Hunting Podcast, and I'm joined again today by Warren and Easton, and we are going to first start off before I announce the topic of today. Uh, Warren, you got some shout-outs that we got to do? Um, YouTube people have been... Oh, that's what I was doing. ...giving lots of love, and then so, and of course Spotify people are giving lots of love, but we can't shout you out because it won't tell us your names. So uh, they sailed us over 200. I think we're at like 225 or 230. In so, reviews? Yeah, on really Spotify. Good. So maybe we'll hit 300 soon because you guys are all-stars. Hey, now, you're an all-star. Okay. Get your game We on. don't need him Go to sing. Play. I promise you that. That's so. such a good song. Uh, but anyways, and then so you have, um, and then Apple. Apple, we had a couple people leave reviews, but they didn't say anything. So we appreciate it, but it's kind of boring. YouTube, though, you guys have done a great job, <laughs> so I guess with that, Apple, if you guys would please leave reviews, we appreciate it. Spotify, same thing. Um, and then for everybody that's watching on YouTube, it's now under the Raised Hunting Podcast. It's its own channel, and uh, you guys have lit it up. It's been doing really good, so we super appreciate it. And there's been a pile of comments on there lately. The fence squatting one last week uh, – some people totally agreed with it, and some people totally disagreed with it. I want to uh, read one of them. Well, because there is one that I thought was one. Let me find. Well, we, well, Go ahead. You shout well, some out. Well, we comments. totally disagreed. Oh, yeah, we did. Uh, you know, We so. came to a good, a good standing ground at the end of it, but the one that made me laugh out loud, the comment, was uh, old Tyler Grunert. I think, sorry if I said your name wrong, my man. But he said, I, I love it's it. it's Grunert. I love it. Borderline hunting. It is like going on a dinner date with a girl and not eating or take, not eating or talking to her the whole time. It's borderline dating. No boundaries crossed. Borderline hunting is literally the gateway drug to poaching. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, That's a lot of references. Okay, somebody. So, okay, here it is. Bam Bam 2533. <coughs> so he made an excellent point. He says, I have more path, more path, holy crap. I have more math, non-poop related. If you guys remember, the wacky fact was we were all uh, the turd, super the upset turd. that the dinosaur turd wasn't bigger. Anyways, he said, if you had 100 acres in a square shape and it, bo- and it borders neighbors on three sides and you give up 40 yards off the property line to put stands... You just gave up 17 and a quarter acres of your property to hang stands. Nearly a fifth of it. You can check me out. I had to Google it. You're, you're nicer than me. I'll use what property I have and be ethical and law-abiding about it. So <sighs> if you stayed, and he didn't even go, okay, he did go 40 yards. So if you stay 40 yards, you're yep. t- basically saying that you're going to give up almost 20 acres of, of property. huntable land. Right. That's a lot to yeah. me. That's, what I'm, that's why I wouldn't expect someone to do, to do that, and I'm not doing that. I thought. I think that's a... A really good reference, though, um, to be able to kind of put that in perspective. What what you would be doing if you if you said you drew that barrier there for yourself. Right. So um, shout out to him, Bucky Doe Downer ninety forty, uh, Eric Otto, the darkest hero for the subject, uh, Shedder one one zero four CD Farms. There's a whole bunch of you guys, so we really appreciate it. Um, keep them coming; it keeps it really interesting. We like hearing everybody's comments. So. Hopefully today will be another interesting one. Oh, boy. <laughs> Before we go further, though, I'm calling on all podcast listeners. We are going to be 
I don't people for whatever reason like our like our our fake wood in the background. <laughs> uh, but with that reminded me, I'm going to be redesigning our podcast area and our we're gonna get we're gonna make a table and everything. I've been thinking of things that I could put in it that would be cool. One of them I would like from you guys. And what that is, if you don't mind, send an email to contact at raisedhoney.com for any of the guys or women, anybody out there that has listened, that has sent us pictures in the past of the deer, turkey, whatever that you have you have harvested or said that was something from our podcast helped or said, hey, guys, listen to your podcast, did this stuff, this is the second buck. I've, we've had lots of people send things like that. If you have been affected by our podcast and – had success, or just have a great picture that has come from something in relativeness to our podcast, send me an email with it at contact at raisedhunting.com, and I'm going to make a big board for us with all our podcast listeners' photos and stuff that I'll put in the back. Um, And obviously, if you're watching, you'll see it. Uh, And I would like to, at some point, maybe I'll do, if we get enough, I'll do a yearly one, like 2023s, 2024s, and we'll keep adding to it. So that is my request from you guys. That's a good Con- idea. Contact at raisedhunting.com. Send an email. And even if you want, send a little bit of the story behind it. And we might even, we'll, maybe we'll do like a story lo- story podcast where some of you guys send some stuff in. That'd be a, uh, how come you didn't tell us about that? I mentioned it to dad, but mainly because it was one of my <clears throat> crazy thoughts that just came to my head yes, last night. And then I thought about it. And then I saved it for the podcast. We could make the whole wall that. Yeah. That'd be pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. Thank you. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Way Long to go. To you. Thanks, you, Dad. You had a good <laughs> idea this year. 2024, you're starting off with a bang. Good job, Easton. So Obviously, David doesn't appreciate <laughs> no, you No, I think it's a really good idea. I thought it was a great idea. David. It like, is a great oh, idea. Cool pictures. All right. So today, though, I think what we're going to be talking about is practicing. Um, it's deer season in most places is starting to dwindle down. Maybe the south, southeast corner still doing some deer hunting, but but even they are probably a few weeks away here, and they're done too. So what we're going to be talking about is um, we had, some, again, to Jake Del, is it Delug. Delug. Jake Delug sent in and said, what do we think specifically about shooting 3D um, in practicing? And he went in a little deeper than that, but we'll talk about um, how we practice and wh- what we do and and. Uh, what some people are doing and why we don't do some things and things like that. So, um, yeah. So Warren's going to read what uh, Jake wrote here. He said, "The um, what's our thoughts on 3D shoots? Do we feel that 3D hunts feel that 3D hunts can give hunters a false sense of security in their shot when they have targets set out to 100 plus yards, or the fact that most 3D shoots aren't from elevation? Some people use these 3D shoots as if it's target practice for deer season and they don't do anything else." So, and I, so I think right off the bat, the, I mean, it depends on, um, the person and how they're hunting, you know, if it's uh, someone who's a Western hunter and they're going to a 3d shoot, um, where, you know, you need to be practicing the way you're going to hunt. I, I think that's what Jake is getting at there is that if someone who's typically sitting in a tree stand going to be hunting whitetail deer and yet you go to a 3D shoot and that's their practice, you know, they go once a week or once every couple of weeks they catch a shoot and run to it, they're probably not getting as effective as they could be getting. Um, 
you know, there might be an elevated shot, but there may not be a lot of opportunity to do that. Um, so do you think that you need three targets then to be uh, effective and, and the most prepared that you could be before you go into the woods? Do I do I think that, or do you yeah. want to answer you that? Said, you said, could you get your dog off my headset? He's on mine too, but I got a hold of mine. So <laughs> sorry, Christo. Hold on. Thank you. There we go. He just leaned up. Well, the moment he lays down, he's near. there. We go. Oh, you guys are all kinds of tangled up under there. Okay, I got a hold of mine. We're good. So the question is, oh. okay, you're interrupting yeah, the podcast. Yeah, he's, ta- he's going to unplug Warren. We apologize Christo, for this commercial break. This is the technical ha- difficulties. Hold on. Just give us a minute. <laughs> Christo. There we go. No, we're good. He's golden now. Yeah, You're well, out. A minute of babbling. Oh, get over it. Did you say need to have yeah. 3D targets? Do you, So do you need to have it to be shooting a 3D target then to be the most um, prepared that you can be going into the woods? I don't think so, no. I, I would agree with that, that you don't necessarily need to. But I think that, in my personal opinion, a combination of a static target that you can shoot at, you can fine-tune your bow and get everything dialed in at, per, at decided yardages is number one. Then once you do that, it definitely can't hurt to have a 3D target set up of the lifelike, like the animal that you're going to be hunting, whether that's a bear, whether that's a whitetail, an elk. Um but I caution people on 3D targets because a lot of these 3D targets, when you start trying to shoot the dots on those 3D targets, that will teach you, and, and you know the story that I'm going to go to to talk about this probably, um, you can learn some bad habits by doing that. And what I mean by that is if you start shooting the, the 12 rings or the 10 rings on these things, that's not necessarily where you want to be aiming when it comes time to hunt. And we learned that, I learned that years ago when you were young, when Warren was young. Warren was, I think, 12, actually. Uh, yeah, I think, it was, I think it was the first year I could hunt, so yeah, I think it was 12. Right, and, and so I had a deer target, and you were shooting the deer target in the backyard, and I thought, man, this kid is, like, crushing this thing. He's going to be awesome on, on making shots as long as I keep him at under 30 yards, and, and you were at 20 yards. It was deadly. I mean, like, every arrow was in the 10 ring. Every arrow was in the 10 ring. Antelope season comes. We get to go out and go antelope hunting, and um, the two of you were actually in a blind together is where that this came. Oh, is this by the the big the bowling pin? Bowling pin, pin yep. yeah. Yeah, so they're in a blind together. Um, Easton is filming Warren. I'm in a – I'm, like, a couple hundred yards away. I can see you guys, you know, but I'm letting you do this on your own so that you can – get some experience and so anyhow i mean and and the whole deal was 20 yards or under we don't and we had a decoy and so we put the decoy at the right distance i helped them get everything set up and said you can't shoot any further than this okay no problem antelope buck comes in warren makes the shot shoots exactly where he's been aiming on his target the entire time now we're talking about a live animal live animal ducks a little bit when he ducks a little bit makes warren's arrow go a little bit high ended up not recovering that antelope is the short of the story what uh what drove the decision for you to let east and i do it ourselves because then i was able to go over and see where the antelope were to give you guys kind of a heads up that they were that they were there and that they were coming so that i could keep you guys it, it was still at the age where if you had to sit for two hours by 
at all and not know whether they were coming, you guys probably weren't going to make it. Right. But if you knew that you had a good idea that they were coming, then you'd We'd be good. Stay. Yeah. Which, and, and that was even before we had phones or anything. There so no I, phones. Yeah. It was just hand signals. Yeah. Go to your place. Uh, Go and so place. that if, if I had hit that, if I'd have hit that, if that goat hadn't ducked at all, it would have been perfect shot. We'd, I'd have hit him exactly where I was shooting that target all the time. Absolutely. And we know that because we've gone back and looked at the footage, put an arrow right where you aimed at, right where you aimed at, was right where it was marked on the target. But when he, when he moves a little bit, when he ducks a little bit, the arrow ends up high. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think that kind of answers part of what he was asking as far as, like right now would be a great time. This is, me and Warren love this time of year because this is the time when we don't really have anything in season. And me and him, we shoot all the time anyways, but we get to go to like indoor shoots and stuff. That I would, I would, caution caution more than even just when you have one in your backyard or something so in your backyard you're probably gonna i mean don't shoot for your 10 ring shoot how you're gonna kill them right you know when me and him are going to multiple different shoots and stuff you get in that mode and that habit of shooting a 10 ring a 12 ring especially if depending on depending on what kind of uh tournament it is if it's like uppers and lower 12s then you're way up like sometimes your 12 is like you wouldn't want to put an arrow there at all um but those I would preface more than or caution more than, um, and I still think they're very good for you. I I think it's good to be able to uh, learn aiming on different animals and different things that are somewhat at least accurate to size and getting accustomed to it. But when it comes down to it, if you're going to practice for an actual hunt, don't practice for score or don't shoot for score. Shoot for a kill shot. Shoot for a, a lethal where you're going to shoot them in the woods. And someone might be asking, what is the difference? You know, I mean, and the difference is I, I break all my big game animals into thirds. A lower third, a middle third, and an upper third. Upper third is basically just at the very top of the lungs and into what we call no man's land. Middle third is definitely center of heart lungs, or center of lungs, sorry. And then the lower third is heart and then the bottom of the lungs. And if someone will teach themselves to aim... At that lower third, they account for what happened to you at 20 yards when they duck. When they do any kind of, because and we need to. I even hate saying ducking, because it's not true. They're not actually ducking the air or jumping the string. All they're doing is they hear something, or they see something, or they react to something that which is you shooting at them, and they go to leave. When they go to leave, they bend their knees. When they bend their knees. They go down before they go up or before they go forward. It's just nature. It's just the way that if you watch your dog, he does the exact same thing. Um, so it's the nature of what's going on. So that's what I try to always, I especially like raised a full draw when we teach these kids, we try to teach them to shoot at that lower third. And then out of a tree stand, kind of the same thing. Your arrow is going to plane higher than what you're going to be shooting at. So you want to learn to aim a little bit lower because your arrow is going to hit higher. And so we try to teach those things to people. Um, and you can definitely go to a 3D shoot and forget all of that when you're shooting a rhinoceros or you're shooting a grizzly bear or you're shooting a white-tailed deer and they got a 12 ring or a 10 ring and it's like in the center of the lungs. And then, like you said, if you're competing with that, I definitely think that comp competition shooters need to spend a little time shooting for 
kills when they get done competing. I'm not telling anyone they shouldn't compete. It's a lot of fun. Shooting 3D shoots are a lot of fun, and and the targets are fun to shoot, and and there can be some money to be made if you get good enough. Um, So I'm not telling anyone not to do that. What I'm telling you is you definitely need to transition back to hunting and and go that way. A lot of those guys, though, they do both enough. Like all, out of all the guys that I know that are shoot a lot, they have they have a mode. It's I mean when they're hunting, they are they know where the ten ring is for their kill shot. When they're shooting in a competition, they know where that they're shooting for the actual ten ring. And I think that's just a of on and off switch because they've done it enough. The other thing I would say though is if you have if you're buying a three D target, if you have three D targets or you're reluctant on buying one or gonna get one. If it's going to get you to shoot more, get one. Because that's the main thing, as long as you're shooting. If you get really... I get very tired of dots every once in a while, just shooting bags and stuff. I enjoy shooting my bow, but sometimes it's just repetitive, which is a good thing as far as long as you're doing everything properly as far as your form goes and everything. But if it's going to get you to go out two more times in a week versus once a month, heck yeah, get yourself one and practice with it. Because I think they're a lot more fun to, to shoot. Absolutely. I'm I'm all about it. Okay, Mr. Comment Boy, you haven't said much, so I'm waiting to hear your thoughts on it. I'm just listening. I think I agree with Ethan as far as I do. I think that um, some folks have a, a mode. Like I could definitely go from shooting dots to shooting an animal, and I'm and I don't think I'm going to have a issue in switching. Like I'm going to be registered enough of knowing of where I need to aim. Um, I think a 3D. I think a 3D target can be can be the, probably the single best practice tool that you could have. I think that a target is great because it gives you, I mean, and when I say a target, a static target that gives you the ability to make sure that your bow is dialed in and your equipment's dialed in. Uh, but you can't really make that into any kind of a somewhat realistic scenario. Um, and so then I think when you go into 3D, I think there's two ways that you can shoot 3D. And I think both can help you. Obviously, one's going to be a lot more so than the other. Uh, you know, one is you can go in and shooting competitively. I think some of the things that can really that you can really gain from that is it forces you to pick a dot, forces you to pick a spot. You know where, um, and then two, it's probably one of the only other ways that you can simulate some pressure. You know where if you really if you care and you're trying to be competitive, that you have some pressure and it kind of matters, and you got to try to hit that dot and and, yep. and execute your shot um, without letting it get to you. So I think that that is. Huge. A huge benefit to be able to have that and pick those things out. Um, and then I think if you're going to go and shoot them for fun, I think putting forcing yourself to be in a scenario where you are having things that are somewhat realistic is really good. For instance, maybe going through without a rangefinder, um, or or taking like I take Alyssa sometimes and I'll make her shoot through two trees, right? Right where the she's not shooting through the tree, but the there is a tree that covers up the head of the deer and a tree that covers up the tail end of the deer, and she needs to shoot through that. And for me or and you guys, we're experienced enough that that doesn't really bother us. In, in fact, it's better. I either hit him exactly where I need to or I shoot a tree, right? Um, for her, that induces anxiety of there's a tree there. I shouldn't shoot, you know, and it's – Teaching those things and learning that it's okay to do that um, is it's very difficult to do that with just a static target. I think one of the best, honestly, one of the 
best targets is is shameless plug to dead nuts. They're 2D target that is images. If you're really focused on trying not to be worried about rings, then there's a target. It's called dead nuts target. They're 2D targets, and you can shoot them without having. They have no rings on them or anything. It's just a literally a print of a. A deer or elk, yeah, and it's life size. Put over your regular target too. Yeah, Um, but I think that I think that it's a really good tool. I think it'd be great for. I tell all the kids at camp, right? If you guys, if you kids want to win, right? Which they all want to win. Yeah, they get so caught up on the yardage thing, right? And for some of those kids, it's a huge deal Uh because if. they're they're off twenty one inch yard. draw length. <laughs> yeah, they're off by two yards. It <laughs> drops four inches. Absolutely, they're off by a mile. And then you had other kids that are you know they're sixteen or seventeen and they're pulling seventy pounds and and their arrows you know they're getting two ninety. They're pretty close to what we're shooting, right? And uh, but they'll get all tripped out on the yardage. And I'll tell them you know your your ten ring on those three D targets is probably what six inches by six inches or so. I think they are six inches. Okay, yeah. so if you have sighted in on a static range and you are very confident where you can hit, then now when you go onto that 3D target, usually you can look at it and say, okay, it's it's definitely no further than than 30. If it's not 30, then it's 25. It's either 30 is as absolutely as far as it could be, but it's probably closer. And so in that event, I'm going to put my 30 on the bottom of the line because if it is closer then I, I know I either hit where I'm at and I'm a 10 or I'm off a little bit and I'm a 12. And I think that that same concept can help you as well in the field when you're hunting. Um, that, like I told Easton before we went elk hunting, I was like, just be ready. You know, you're going to be able to just stick all your pins on him. And he didn't believe me, you know, because they're so big. you tell me that sometimes with deer and I don't. <laughs> Only the close. ones that were at seven yards. Yeah, that's valid. <laughs> When your <laughs> Easton's glasses were fogged up when he had glasses in, I was, there was rain freaking on out. Too. I was seeing multiple pins. I, I know. That's what I told you. I was like, well, then put all six of them on there because he's right there. Yeah, well, when they're <laughs> sideways, it's confusing. Okay. It was fine. We didn't, you did the right thing. You did the ethical thing. That deer ended up getting killed like a year or two later at like 180 or 190. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, <laughs> Easton dropped the ball on that one. So I think they're I think they can be a super super good tool, um, you know, when used correctly. I definitely think that people can get too comfortable, you know, shooting an elk target at a hundred yards and then thinking I can go and shoot an elk at a hundred yards in the wild. It's completely different. Um, the other thing for me is honestly, I feel way three D targets or three D targets or two D targets shooting an animal target. I typically feel way more confident than I do. Um, shooting at a static target because like once i get my bow dialed in on a static target if i come back the next day and i shoot at 40 and i'm an inch and a half left it tweaks it you out pisses me off and then it gets in my own head even though it's an inch and a half right mm-hmm. it's not a big deal for me it just it really really irritates me where if i take that first shot on a 3d target and it's an inch and a half left i can't really tell it's you know and like it's money right right? um and so i think that that's honestly something that i probably should do more of when i get closer to uh the season so that i don't start messing with stuff and i know there's a lot of guys listening that probably start doing that same thing where they get tripped out a little bit and then they and they move their sight a little bit and then 
then now it's the other way the next day and then now they're really getting anxious yeah, they move it to again out what what am i doing wrong yeah and then well now it's a stabilizer problem and they take and they're changing weights on their stabilizers and then well it's my peep and then it's this and then it's that and then before you know it, you've got a mess and i and i know there's people listening have done that cuz i have done it too many times when i needed to just chill like just relax it's okay and i think that then you, then you end up where your your confidence is down and you're um in your own head and you're just your own worst enemy at that point so I, for uh i i i don't know why i haven't done this cuz i need to do it but if we're going off of general public out there the majority of I would say the majority. It would make me feel a lot better if it was the majority, but I'm sure some people that are listening have target panic issues. I am an extreme case. I think it's habitual is what it is. There's a stress (coughs) involved in it, but it's also I've done it for so long that it's super hard for me to break. I think 3D targets can be like a a bridge because if you've ever tried to attack the target panic or try to figure out how to calm yourself down, um, like shooting a blank bail or shooting where there's no no uh, dots or anything on it can be wonderful. A lot of times you do that at closer range, though, because then you're no pressure. You're not worried about anything else. You're simply focusing on squeezing the trigger or rotating through whatever kind of release you use. And in my opinion, a 3D target is kind of like that next step because you can put it at 20, 30, 40, whatever, y- however many yardage you're shooting, and you don't have necessarily that. Uh, anxious one dot that you're trying to get your pin to sit in and set a release off as you're going into it or you're circling it or you're whatever. And then you get into your regular, like regular targets because your regular targets for me, they cause me anxiety massively when I'm at full draw. I know where the dot is. I know I can hit the dot, but that, that circle for whatever reason, it's tough to calm your mind down if you've been in that mode. So 3D targets for me have been great. Because I don't have any, I know where I need to hit, but I don't have anything saying, "Hey, pull it now." There you are. Like it's, I'm focused on where a, a harvest or a kill shot would be. Right. Yeah. So, because Jake mentions another thing in there, though he's talking about elevate, you know, shooting from elevated. You want to replicate as much as you possibly can of what you hope to be facing when you go hunting, whether that's elevation or downhill or out of a ground blind man i can't tell you how many people that i have met that they get climb into a ground blind and it throws them off mm-hmm, they're like yeah. what the heck um i mean like guys that shoot very very well and they have not knelt down or shot from a chair inside of a ground blind dark and ground blind and then they have a small slit to shoot out of and all of a sudden it messes them up they don't see the arrow hit the bottom of the blind um there's all kinds of things so you want to make sure 3D shoots are tons of fun, and if they have setups like that, if they have a ground blind, shoot out of it. The, the only bad thing sometimes about 3D shoots, I mean, sometimes is you don't get to do it again. Meaning you one you, shot. Where you get one shot, where it'd be nice if you could say, okay, let me practice this a few times, you know. So owning your own 3D target or 2D target can be super beneficial because then you can set things up like you want it and redo it over and over again. So, but I think Jake was mentioning that he's talking about distance as well. And I don't know if it's just distance that I would talk. I've been to a lot of 3D shoots where they have made some shots that I won't take. I wouldn't take, I'm just like, I wouldn't take this shot. There's no, either it was too far 
or it was through stuff like you talked about for Alyssa. This was not like what we're talking about for Alyssa. This was something where it, it just wasn't, it wasn't a clear shot, period. You know, and the guys are trying to set them up to make it as difficult as possible to make everyone challenge themselves. And I understand that, but it's got to be a realistic shot. Um, in my opinion, I don't, I don't like when they, I mean, you can set an elk target out there at a hundred yards. I'm probably not going to, sh- I don't have a hundred yard pin. I have a 60 yard pin. That's as far as, so I'm not going to hold high and see how it goes. Um, I've done that and it's, I'm flinging. Oh, <laughs> When it's that Put kind it of out there at 200, I'm flinging. <laughs> I will disagree with that in one area because I've struggled with this. With uh, Like, as I've been getting more into rifles, it drives me nuts because I want to practice things like, oh, if a coyote came running in at 250 and he's in the brush or whatever, I'd just do this. and like So I can practice for aiming a little high or in quick situations that I know that I can do this, that, and the other or know how it's going to affect where I hit. That's my big thing because, like, when me and Warren go shoot throughout the summers, it's very rare that we're shooting from the pen. Like, we're, we're always – we go with no rangefinder, and we're setting – like, we're standing to the left, right, a little bit further back, whatever, to, to get those shots where you're shooting through a couple trees, things like that. And I remember last year, one of the – there was one where it was, like – it was not a shot at all. I mean, it was covered up. It was just leaves, though, from where the, the uh, target was. And I was joking with him and Joey. I said, how much you guys want to bet I can hit this? And it was like 35 yards or something, but it's like you can barely see the target. And I shot it, not one, because it was fun, like what are the odds? Right. Number two, because I wanted to see, okay, I know things are going to affect my arrow when they hit them or when I bump something or if I hit a limb, things like that. How straight is this really going to fly when I'm shooting it through a freaking 10 leaves? You know, And I hit it, and it hit well. So not that I would take that shot on an animal, but what it does is it allows me to say, hey, for instance, like the deer I shot this year, I knew when I got to full jaw that there was stuff right on the right next to his vitals where I was aiming. My pin settled on it. I didn't didn't worry. Meaning they were very close to the deer. Yeah, the deer was there, and then there was like two, three uh, thorn bush things, uh, twigs coming up right where my pin settled. I knew that my arrow was either going to go right next to it or it was going to hit it. But it didn't matter because it was right next to the deer. And I knew that no matter what, it's not going to be able to affect where the outcome of the arrow is going to in that short period of time. And I shot him and made a perfect shot. It zipped through him. The only reason I knew that is from doing things like where we have branches and stuff really close to us versus the target or really close to the target and see the difference in, in being able to different situations. And that directly correlated to shots I've made in the field. Yeah, I think if you actually go to those and you practice for hunting situations, it can be one of the most educating times that you have because you. I think I think honestly, from a lot of people, it would probably take some confidence away from them. Um, for instance, one th- shot I'm thinking of is like that one where that same range that you're talking about. Uh, they have that one across the ravine, the river or the ru- oh the, tur- the, the turkey that's over there. No, I'm talking the one over by Indianola. Oh, that, oh, 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 and it's across that ravine. Yeah. I like, think I know remember the little goat about. where we go down the little steps or whatever? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're like, you look at it and you guess a yardage mm-hmm. and you're like 50. And then you hit it with a rangefinder and you're like, oh, shit, 30. You know, because there's, there's no, no ground between right. you and the target. Yes. And then I remember another one where we went the one day with Shane and we all, and, and they have this deal where you can shoot from an elevated spot and it's like, 
it was probably 15, 16 feet up, something like that. But it was breezy day, 15, 20 mile an hour winds. And we're sh- and the one target's like 45 yards, which I know there's a whole bunch of people. That's not that far. Well, when you're up there and there's nothing else blocking you and you're trying to hold that pin on the target at 45, I think that even a 3D target, it should bring a lot of clarity of like, hey, trying to fling an arrow in this at an animal with a crosswind or something like that is probably not a very good idea when you're having a hard time keeping your pin even on, on the, the animal. Target, yeah. Yep. yeah. So I think that it can expose a lot of those things and provide you with a lot of really good information that you can't really otherwise um, gain from just shooting a static target. But you got to practice it in that way. Absolutely. The other one that it's huge for is beginners. Oh, yeah. That is the first place uh, I took Joey. Right when we once he got his form down and stuff, the first thing we did is we went to a 3D shoot, and it wasn't a, it was just a 3D course, excuse me, not a shoot. So it's just drop some money and you can go through and shoot however many times you want, whatever. And that is huge for them to number one be able to shoot something that is lifelike that they're going to be going into the season with. They get to understand, okay, I shot, I was aiming here and I hit here. Then you can walk up to him and actually show like, okay, if you drew a line through this deer. You came out here, so where do you think you'd want to aim as opposed to where you hit? And they learn all those things or learn from shooting out of a stand or down a hill, things like that, right away, right in the beginning. And, like, for him, I think that was huge because he was like, I feel like I'm shooting good at the targets, but I don't know how I'm going to shoot on a deer. I don't know how I'm going to aim because I don't have a dot. And then they go do that, and it builds confidence. Absolutely. Yeah, but so you mentioned one method that I want to go back to um, because I think there's – two or three different ways to approach it. You talked about you guys going through with no range finder. Um, and that is to learn to judge yardage. And without a doubt, that is what wins the raise to full draw kids camp shooter is not the kid who can shoot the dots the best. It's the kid who judges yardage the best. Yep. You know, that's, that's what happens. And so they don't, it, they don't get to use their range. They finders. don't get to use their range finders. And so, but my, so my point is, um, one way is to just go through, say, I'm going through all the way through this without any range finder, and I'm going to guess the yardage. Another way is to go through and say, I'm going to guess yardage, but then I'm going to hit it with a range finder. That's what I do to see how far, but you got to be honest with yourself and say, man, I miss, I was off five yards on that one, you know, or I was off 20 yards on one across a ditch or something like that. Yeah. We, um, we do the same thing, but normally we launch the arrow, then range it. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and that's, it and I, that's what I'm saying. You know, you can always do it that way. Um, I would recommend if you don't want to break arrows and you're trying it, you're like you're learning or you're in the beginning stages, guess it, go through it, range, and range it. Then to make range sure. it to make sure. But like you said, you got to be you got to be honest with yourself. Like, oh, man, I was off. What you don't want to do is start getting used to ranging everything. Yep. Because what will end up happening is you will be in a real hunting scenario and you won't have time to range an animal. Of of the hundreds of animals that I've shot, I've ranged a very few of them. Very few. I mean, now ranging stuff around me. A lot of the times, though, that's because you have them so close. That's true. You know, it's it's a different to. ball game when you're holding yourself to a standard to keep them under a certain distance. Right. For, for a lot of these guys, though, that um, – you know, if if you are one of those guys out there that's shooting a 500-grain arrow, a 600-grain arrow, it is going to be imperative for you to be doing this and practicing without knowing the yardage because when you have a bull come in at 30 
and you have a one pin or whatever it may be, and he rolls out to 40 or, or 45 or whatever it is, and, and you take that shot, and you're shooting a 600-grain arrow, you're going to have a lot, a of, lot drop. of drop. So you better be really familiar with – that's the other things I think that you can do on 3D that it's great, is you can go and shoot your bow at, at – shoot it at 40, and then walk back two yards, shoot it at 42, shoot it at odd ranges and see – and you can really learn your bow, you know, because then you can know, okay – I range if I'm deer hunting. I range this that tree and it's thirty, and I know that one that that log is thirty three. If you know that I, I only have an inch of drop at thirty three yards, I don't need to really worry about okay, that's thirty yard pin, right? Uh, you know, reducing those factors that can come into play. I think the other thing that three D can do for you that's really really good is it helps you overcome your mind. So like the same range he's talking about. There's one. There's two shots I'm thinking of. One is a gopher, and it's like forty yards, right? And it's so it's not very big, but I mean, we if made, you're we made that shot, <laughs> well, it's a shot now. <laughs> so There's another one where we're like, this would be tough. Yeah, if you hit the center of it, <laughs> you probably have, I mean, up and down, you have five inches either way. Left and right, you probably only have about two and a half to three inches. And uh, when you take that shot, your brain wants to freak out. Wants to stay away from whatever it thinks it might hit. Yeah, or you get nervous because it's like right. I'm going to miss. You know that if you don't hit where you're aiming at, you're missing. That's just how that's it's small. Right, but if you're shooting at a relative range that you shoot well at, for me, most of the time, it's very rare that I'm going to be more than two and a half inches to the left or right at forty. I'm usually going to be within an inch or so. Um, you know, maybe a maybe two inches. I'm still on the target, so you have to overcome your mind. Of it's okay. I'm I'm that's still plenty of material. Right, because otherwise, on a static target, you're not worried about that. You've got ten inches either way, up and down. You're you're safe. So I think it's good because it pushes you um, to test some of those shots right. and and grow in your confidence. And then you learn, hey, I can do this. Which I think that's what's really interesting about watching the new archers go through and do it is you can see where the confidence starts, and then you can where see it, it start to yeah, and it either ends one either really good or it goes. Really bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. Sure. So I, mean, I think we all agree then that the static targets, <laughs> when we're talking static targets, we're talking like a square bale um, or a block or something bag that's targets. just got bag targets that just got dots on it. Those are super effective for getting everything started. And imperative for sighting a bow in. That's what I mean. We would I never mean, recommend sighting a bow in on a 3D target. Don't just you don't like we said you don't have the spot or the dot to reference where you're hitting yep. versus where you may be erroring, so you, there are imperative for that. Go on. Right. No, I'm just getting at that, and and so being able to get that bow dialed in and set up, and so and then if you run into issues when you do get out on the 3D course, go back to the. Go back to the drawing board. You know, if you're shooting high every time, why am I shooting high? Why am I shooting low? Maybe you bumped your bow. Maybe something came loose, whatever. Um, you know, and then checking equipment constantly. A bow is not like a rifle. You know, it um, way more likely for things to go wrong. There's way more moving parts. And so having people that understand what they're facing when they shoot their bow, and I think that's another part that's really good about 3D targets or a 3D shoot is it forces you to shoot a lot of arrows. You know, if it's a 50-target deal, I mean, that, that's quite a few arrows that you're going to be shooting, especially if you're walking the, the course and, and you're shooting uphill, downhill. I used to do it with you guys on my back, you know, um, yeah. and things like that. 
Um, yeah, it was, and, and I learned right away that that's not, you cannot shoot effectively with a child on your back because they don't sit still. <laughs> I was probably helping. I was like, little left, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you were just trying to see. You wanted to look through binoculars all the time, so you're constantly moving. Uh, surprised me. If you had, if, is there, if you had one tip to give somebody about practicing in general on a 3D target, on a static target, on whatever it may be to help them be successful in either their confidence or going into the field or anything that you do that's a little bit different, what is one tip that you would give somebody? You want to go first or you want me to? And I have one if you need, if you guys need to think for a second. Yeah, I need to think because, I, I mean, I already kind of said some of mine, but I would like to come up with a different one. Okay, go ahead. So is what I something I started doing a few years ago that's helped me immensely is I take notes. So is what I'll do is I'll shoot my bow throughout the summer, and then when I start getting around towards um, the end of July and the end of, and the beginning of August or middle of August, I'm a t- I'm a tinkerer, which means a lot of you I know are the same way. I have a bad problem of messing, with and so I force myself to do all of that before. August 1, basically, to get it out of my system of what my setup is going to be. And then from that point, now my only goal is making sure that I go into the hunting season with a supreme confidence in my ability and my shooting and that everything is on. So I mark everything on my bow, meaning that I mark um, my timing on my cam. I mark my my peep sight. I mark my serving. I mark my D-loop. I mark my sight. I I mark my rest. I mark everything. That way I know if anything moves. Some of that stuff, though, hold on, not to take, but but like some of your rest and your, your site may already have marks on it. You write it down. Like if it's on two or it's on three or it's on the fourth yeah. tick mark. I'll take pictures, put it in a folder, or yep. I'll take even a silver Sharpie and, 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 and mark it I a little bit. I do it on the site. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that way I know. Um, I try not to do a big one, you know, because if I want to move this, change the site onto a new bow or whatever and it's going to move it you know acetone's a beautiful thing well i'd probably wipe it all off though it doesn't wipe my marks off it wipes off my marker though well so anyways what (laughs) i'm doing here is i'm giving myself a baseline that i know for sure okay my equipment is all in check or it's not and so from that point now is what i've done is i've eliminated my ability to make excuses and then is what i do is every day is i i have a notepad on my phone that i have um the distance, first arrow, following four. After the following four, I don't really care about how I shot. Uh, those, The first one is the most important, and then the next four is very important to me. And then I put the weather conditions, the wind speed, um, how I felt, how my body felt, if I was lifting or anything else, and, and I note all of those things. And then is what I do from that point on is I make myself, unless I have four days in a row of – at 40 yards, the first shot was two inches left. Until I have four days in a row of that, I do not allow myself to move anything on my bow. And that, for me, when I started doing that, it gave me an incredible confidence. But I'll also do things, the same thing where I'll put gloves on. I'll put my coat on that I'm going to wear, and I will shoot. I will do it with everything. That way I know if that arrow doesn't land where it's supposed to, I did something. But it, most of the time, I think that that gives you the confidence that if it's a shot that I'm taking, it's because I'm a thousand percent sure that I'm going to be able to put that arrow right where I need to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did so you that think, would be mine. Did you think of yours? Not yet. Okay, because Warren kind of, he mentioned mine, but I, mine is, so that first arrow, 
that's where my that's where I draw the line. That's how I I walk out every time, and and it could be twice in the same day. You know, I might shoot one time in the morning, and then I don't shoot again till that evening. And that first arrow is what I go off of. You know, because for me, especially with shoulder issues and stuff like that, after I've shoot 10, 12, 15 arrows, I, I'm not shooting the same. So I got to make sure that the first few arrows are dialed in and the first arrow is the main one. Yep. And so I kind of do the same thing. I'm watching to see, is it left? If it's left, then tomorrow, is it left again at the same thing? Is it? And again, I don't move stuff right away. I'm waiting until I decide whether or not that um, this is something that's recurring you know, over and over again. But that first arrow is because if it's, if the first arrow is dead on and then my 10th arrow is left and my, and I'm about to be done and the next one's left, don't move your stuff. Well, and you'll find in my opinion, you'll find (laughs) that after you shoot about 10 arrows, a lot of times where you will, where you will, your first arrow goes and your 10th arrow goes is a lot different. Yep. Not, not a ton different, but like you may find that, once you settle in or you get comfortable or whatever it is, you start doing something a little bit different, and it's consistent. That's why I'm only measuring the first arrow and the following four, because after that, I don't have time to warm up in the woods, you know. Um, but I'm also trying to make sure that I'm keeping my form as consistent as I possibly can. Yep. So a lot of times, too. And then after that, the other thing is it, I shoot, like, I try to shoot 10 arrows or less. And as long as they're all there, I force myself to go home, which was you guys know the amount that I used to shoot. I mean, yeah. I still shoot a lot, but like, like that is really, really, really hard for me because when I'm shooting good, you all I want to do is just keep shooting. Right. And I, and then is what happens though is then, I, well, I was shooting so good, and now I'm shooting left, and I, I usually do pretty good with not getting in my own head. Or Warren will get in his own head. The one that I, Bad. I, I see that you, I've seen you do it. I and I'm sure been, many of our listeners is. Did you hear that? That bow's making a noise, isn't it? Did you hear that? That that's and then well, mine let, always were making. Let a noise. me shoot it again, <laughs> and then click, click. Oh, I think it's making a noise. You know, yeah. it'd be something that simple like that. You may still be shooting good, but it's making a noise. Well, but too, I mean, you probably you can be starting to do that when you, if you start shooting 150, 200 arrows a day, inevitably just the the law what, of wear and tear on the of, of whatever the hell that would be, I guess percentages or analytics or whatever would say that the more you shoot it, the the higher the chances is that something's going to go wrong. Right. So mine is kind of two. They're going to pertain to me because if anybody's like me, that's the best tip I can give you as far as shooting. You can't give tips to yourself. That's not very good. It's something that is supposed to help other people. Yeah, that's the point. Okay. I think a lot of people deal with the target panic I was talking about. Okay. And things that help me is if you can set it up right, Uh, it doesn't have to be fancy, but I try to go, we have in our shop, we have the blank bale or whatever. So it's just one big target, nothing on it. And then we have right outside in our backyard of the office our targets to shoot. When I am struggling or feel as though I'm struggling with, maybe I've done well with squeezing the trigger or my form and everything. I feel like I'm starting lacking on that. Or I'm just trying to, when I first started trying to break out of it, I will come in, shoot like five to ten arrows where I get to the point of like your the feeling of what your first shot will be where you're like talking yourself through squeezing the trigger or pulling through whatever is totally different from the tenth one 
because the 10th one, now you're not really thinking about it anymore. It feels better. You feel comfortable. You don't feel stressed or anything. And then what I'll do is I'll walk straight outside and I'll shoot it 40 yards, which is the furthest I'm comfortable shooting because I know if I go shoot 20, I'm not worried. If I go shoot 30, I might kind of feel something. Or sometimes I'll shoot like 50 or 60 right away because that's where the anticipation starts to really kick in where I, I'm worried about missing or I've got target panic or whatever else. So uh, the reason I do it that way is because it allows me to feel what the comfort is over here with with no aiming or nothing and get the right uh, form and everything. Then step out and replicate it. You just did it. The only difference is you're shooting at something. So And that has helped me tremendously because it's such so quick that and the reason I say they're side by side is because I can do it and then literally just step over and shoot 40 right away when I've still got that fresh feeling in my mind that I was just holding and just squeezed and even think about <coughs> it, go do it again and make that or just keep replicating it. And the other thing I would say would be uh, shoot at blank targets no matter how skilled you are, like through the winter and stuff when it's terrible weather and stuff. If you have the ability to put one in your basement, your wife isn't going to kill you or in your garage or whatever else. Put a target out there. If you're shooting 5, 10 yards, it's still beneficial because you're keeping your muscle memory going. And it's not you're not going to have to restart when it gets to be better weather. Yep. Yeah. The key to shooting good is not how well you can aim. It's how well you can execute the exact same form over and over. Every over. single time. Yep. Yep. The, the one that we didn't mention, I think that's worth mentioning because we might have I might have confused some people. One of the way I was talking about it is the other one I would tell you is shoot further than you plan to hunt. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to do that. When I say I won't shoot 100 yards, it's because I don't have a 100-yard pin. I will shoot 60 yards. I might shoot 70 when we're practicing because I have a 60-yard pin. And depending on the influence you have shooting with Yeah, them. when I have people talking in my jaw and in my ear. But, it's but two boys typically, challenging him. But I don't hunt 60 yards. I'm 40 yards and under for everything. And so 60 yards is still out farther than I need to. And so I will do that. But I know, and, and so don't be afraid. I mean, it will make you a better shot by aiming, learning to aim at a further distance because it's definitely harder. And it makes you feel like that spot at 40 yards is, is gigantic. Gigantic and easy to hit. Same reason you go shoot 40 and 20 always feels like it's 10 yards. Yep. I, I find a lot of times that I will end up shooting better at 60, 70, 80 than I do 40. And I think it's because of the expectations that I set for myself. At 80 yards, I'm like, I really don't expect I don't really to hit the same spot expect, every time. Yeah, to shoot like a f- three, four inch group. I'm like, it's 80 yards, you know, it's all right if there's one or two there. And so I'm what, much more relaxed about it and just focusing on my form and squeezing that arrow off. And then, and then usually it's really good. And I think a lot of times it's sometimes the fact that we aren't putting so much pressure on ourselves because we don't expect it of ourselves at that distance, you actually shoot better. Right. Mm-hmm. The because like Point too, being, like when you shoot get out of your head, <laughs> yeah, well, like when you shoot a hundred, to me, my my pin doesn't move near as much. Well, you that's because it doesn't look it, like it's moving as much. <laughs> that's my point, though, because I think that's what actually aids you is because now you're not you can see it when that freaking pin comes off at forty. Yeah. You know, every little bit you're able to see everything in a micro um, micro level. lens where when at a hundred, it's kind of like, yep, that's over most of it. You know, ah, let's squeeze. <laughs> Not me. At 100, it's like, whoosh, 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 yeah. it's all over the place. 
That's where your so, sti- your your stabilizers, yeah, your stabilizers, help. your stabilizers can make such a huge difference in in or shooting. a big difference in the bad way if you got too much weight on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yep. hopefully that we have answered Jake's question. I think that we covered this pretty well. I mean, and I think it's a very timely conversation that we're having right now because people are starting to shoot 3D. I mean, guys are getting out there, and it's crappy weather, and it's time to move inside. And these are some things that you can do that are going to make next hunting season that much better for you. Yep. These are also really fun times to get with a buddy or something, and you can find team, team shoots and stuff, and you can do challenges and stuff with each other. I hate it, personally, because he's my partner all the time, and so I'm trying to trying to compete, and it's just, you might, I mean, one day I'll get there. We're on the same team. Yeah, we're on the same team, but it's nice to have your buddy there like, okay, who's going to carry today? And it holds you to a higher level. Um, because, like, if you drop a shot, okay, now i got to make, make up the, the points or something isn't very often um but my point is that this is a good time of year to get a buddy you can go do something with them that's fun and you can be benefiting getting better challenging each other it's kind of like pool if you just play pool alone you're not going to be very good but if you go play the best people you'll eventually get better yep yeah hopefully we can clean that up a little this year See, I'll play him in pool and beat him up <laughs> no pool or shoot <laughs> your bow i took bruce one to one last year Cause like he does fine on everything else, and then in the one every once in a while, like I like he just he just breaks over the shoot. I'm like, you're fine on deer and everything else. Like, why was this getting to you? He's like, I don't know, it just gets to me. And uh, but so because I'm self conscious <laughs> about my trigger punching, and I don't like people watching me <laughs> because I know it's there. And We're then it's just exploited. It when I'm in the woods, nobody's watching me. I know I'm gonna make the shot. No worries. <laughs> I went to a team shoot last year. It's random, you know, and and you put everybody puts their name yep. in the hat. And I took Bruce with me. And remember, he was shooting your bow. Oh yeah, because uh, he was only here for the weekend. And I was like, and so I was, I you know, made a jab at everybody else. I was like, someone's gonna hate me because they're gonna get stuck with Bruce. Well, they draw the freaking names, and I get stuck with <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> like, you guys did pretty good though, and he yes. missed. No, that was the thing is. So we did great, and I was like, Bruce, like, you're shooting really good. And because I, I didn't need him to hit 12s or 14s or anything. I was like, you just shoot 10s, and I'll try to hit the, the bigger number stuff, and, and we'll just get in. There's a qualifying round, right? right. And we'll just get qualified, just break right? And then we'll be good. And, uh, and he was shooting, doing exactly that, shooting all 10s. I was like, perfect. This is great. And so we qualify, and then on the very first target, it's an easy one, like, 14 yards away and it's like an armadillo or something so it was a smaller target but it was close enough and he made, he'd already shot that target like twice and was just fine dude uses his 30 yard pin and misses by like eight eight inches so we get a zero right away which when you're in that round now you're you're done right and then he shoots tens and twelves through the rest of it and i was like you suck you know you really suck bruce and he's like it wasn't even my bow dude <laughs> and I was like it didn't matter the rest of the time <laughs> That's yeah, it funny. was my bow, and we didn't make it to the quarterfinals. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes we'll get there this year. You're freaking lights out. It's just yeah. which Easton am I getting today? Gotcha. Anything else? Are we good? Are we going to the wacky facts? Is it going to be next? Wacky fact. Oh boy, let's see if he's got one ready today. I don't know how much I believe this one. So it says, uh, speaking of armadillos, fact: <laughs> armadillo, armadillo. I can't talk today. Armadillo shells are bulletproof. In fact, one Texas man was hospitalized when a bullet he shot an armadillo ricocheted off the animal and hit him in the jaw. Oh, it's that tr- is instant karma right there. 
Yeah. <laughs> I could just see an armadillo take that. <laughs> Can you imagine him having to explain that to his wife? You know oh, she yeah. was so pissed. Why were you shooting an armadillo? Well, why why wouldn't you shoot an armadillo? <laughs> you know? They're a nuisance, honey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that, though. I, I don't know if I do either. Because there's been got to be tons of dudes that have shot armadillos. Yes. Yeah, but I wonder if they're just shooting them in the head. I can't imagine that thing is freaking bulletproof. How did God know there's going to be bullets when he made an armadillo? Well, he did. <laughs> he was making it, make it hard, <laughs> like a turtle. Yeah, yeah, but you're shooting See, through I, a turtle shell, I and think. And a turtle, even a turtle, I think a bullet's going through yeah. a turtle shell, and I think it's harder than the armadillo. Yeah, the armadillo's got to move. Like, it's got to... I don't know if I believe that one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know, Warren, you better start you, fact-checking your wacky facts. Yeah, I was going to say, because we're going to have people... going to lose credibility here. I'm sure everybody will check check on it for us. They checked on the turds last week. That so that one ended up being such a good one. I think because everybody was so disappointed in the fact that the they've only T-Rex turds only that had to have been a baby T-Rex turd. I'm There's telling no you, way that was a big one. one. Is that it for your wacky facts? Is that the only one you're doing today? I think so. I think uh, wow. some octopus octopus, octopus. species lay fifty six thousand eggs at a time. Oh my lord, that is an invasion who of count- octopi. Who counts? <laughs> who counts that? I don't know. Which that's good though, because I discovered that I like. Um, Caviar the other day. It wasn't or caviar. Was it? It was <laughs> That's what they called it. No, they and did I, not. Caviar is fish eggs. Yeah, I know, but that's what okay, Jason so. had said it was, and it didn't it wasn't no, right. No, it's uh now I can't. It starts with a C. It's some fancy word like that. Gosh dang it! Why well, can't I could have sworn it was caviar? No, it's not caviar. For calamari, calamari. Oh, they did call it the it right one. Yeah. yeah, calamari. Yeah, yeah, I discovered I what, like that, Nick? so I'm glad that they're having lots of eggs so we can eat lots of cal- calamari. Okay, Nick? Does it depend on the caliber? So Nick said no. he looked it up, despite current belief, armadillos are not bulletproof. I think that Warren has let everyone down this week. I think he has, too. I, I think you're going to have to come back next week with something really big. Like, come up with what size of a turd does the Meg have? Megalodon. How would we... <laughs> who would know that? It's got to be fossilized in the ocean floor somewhere. Whatever. Maybe we, we'll go on an expedition <laughs> and try and find it, and we'll make that our next YouTube video. I'm in. Let's do it. Not the hunt for the Meg. The hunt for the Meg turd. That's <laughs> <laughs> your movie. Do, do sharks even... Sh- oh, yes. yes. Yeah. I don't know. I'm what do you think they do? Well, I'm just thinking of how many fish are in the ocean. How come there's not a ton of fish turds floating everywhere? They sink. That's why, why do you think people why say do they sink? They say it's so gross to swim in the ocean. You're just swimming in a bunch of fish turds. Well, not if they all sink to the bottom then. Why do they sink? Still in the same water. I, I, think it, I don't know, Warren. It's heavy. How I do don't you know, know it sinks then? Because do you see them floating around? I think it's a pretty logical assumption that they sink. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That could be next week's wacky fact. Why don't we swim in fish turds? Or are we? Why do we swim in fish turds? All right. Well, enough of their goofiness. So we're going to get out of here this time. Sure appreciate you guys joining us today on the Raised Hunting Podcast. Again, drop the reviews. Um, We appreciate everyone on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube now. Uh, I think Warren mentioned it earlier. Make sure that you recognize that we have our we have a new channel now that is. Raised Hunting Podcast, The Raised Hunting Podcast on YouTube. 
that's where all these will be going. And, and so far, they're doing great. Yeah, as everyone has good. found it, and so we sure appreciate it. All right. Well, Last thing, send your uh, stories or pictures of your podcast-related harvest to contact at raisedhoney.com. Contact at raisedhoney.com. That is contact at raisedhoney.com. It's in a psychology study. Three times makes them remember it. Okay, I'm good. Can That's you cite it. this study? No. You should have read the site source three times. And you I don't know where this is going, but to. we're going to get out of mm-hmm. here. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us.